0: Welcome to this enlightened episode of the Greyhorn Pagans Podcast. Sit back, close your eyes, open your mind, and open yourself up to receive the eternal blessing. Welcome to the Greyhorn Pagans Podcast. <laughs> back once more on the greyhorn pagans podcast welcome welcome everybody uh today i am joined by Jin the ninja uh, i do like that name i gotta say thank you it's, uh, it's very special very telling uh you're a Jin and a ninja that's uh,
1: hmm. oh i never thought about it like that but yes
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, yeah oh no way that's that's double and of course i will either way um yeah introduce yourself to the to the good people uh what do you do what are you about what what are we okay today?
1: so i am a uh, practicing Tantriana, Mantriana buddhist also known as tibetan buddhism but um i've also spent like most of my 20s i was definitely like more of a more or less a serious occultist but you know later on in my life you i always feel in my view i feel like we need religion to kind of like orient us guide us a philosophy of like life and magic isn't it's simply not all encompassed i kind of found myself a system that i had already had prior experiences in mm-hmm. and that will you know it that now forms my worldview i think how what else would i describe myself um so i did a three-part series on some conscious realm shout out generally um Hell about it. Uh, yeah, hell yeah, about Tantra and about the ten Mahavidja goddesses. Well we didn't end up doing all of it because it takes me sometimes a while to get to my point. But I try really hard. Sometimes it takes a while. okay, that's <laughs> that's good to know. But um, I'll try and keep it really concise. Um, what else? Uh, so I listened to you on, as I told you before we started recording or before we went live, I listened <laughs> to you on four and it was just such a fascinating conversation you had with MYp and just like the similarities that I heard when you were describing particularly the Hall of Heroes or there was many other things I did take notes. A little bit of notes, not like crazy, but um, (laughs) yeah, I just, I mean, in my head, it was just running through how many things were aligned. And I also used to be like in full acknowledgement, not a woke scold, but I definitely believed in like a more pure epistemological origin of things. Like I was not a perennialist and I I still maybe am not a perennialist in that I don't believe that there's a perennial truth, Mm -hmm. but I definitely believe that there is a perennial world system and then people kind of conceptualize ways to climb the tree or the ladder or how things work in the world right like people do that on their own but there's definitely systems and culture and religions that have transcended geographic regions and we know that just seems yes. to be the case and we know there's a lot of prehistory that were is very opaque and so I think that that's a really interesting conversation and sort of a guest on another podcast and they have a Norse pagan who's named Kiel Thor on the show and him and I have always wanted to discuss this but we've oh. never We've that's never. The, that's the guy you tagged on Twitter. Yeah, he really wanted to do a conversation where we just talked about like get really get into the Indo-European pantheon and plus like the Vedic pantheon. Plus, although that's not my particular, I'm familiar with it and I can. Articulate, mm-hmm. But really, I'm a Tantra guy or a Sutra guy, so. I'm going to do my best. I know it pretty well. (laughs) I have an MA in Sanskrit studies, so I'll try. But, um, you know, so I think it'll just be a really interesting conversation. I think that you've done incredible shows on the Greyhorn Pagan podcast with so many diverse people. And I know you're probably sick of like you've had now because you had uh, one show on Tantra previous, which we won't retread that. Then you just recently. A show with I don't remember his name. I apologize, but he covers a lot of Buddhist things as well. So I know oh, that you're probably. I are... oh, uh, you mean Ethan Indigo by Ethan. chance? Yes, Ethan. That's it, that's exactly it. Yeah,
0: Ethan's a good guy. You check um, with the two of you would be absolutely amazing.
1: You know, he's a very learned person, and he we speak a oh, lot yeah. of the. Same. Like, I think we all, especially in, like, conspiracy occult circles, there's definitely, like, a family of podcasts that all speak the same kind of language, whether we articulate it in this way or that way or whatever but we all say that I, they're I, definitely that is brilliant. yes but this is not going to be a dharma talk i promise you <laughs> i will make okay. sure it's magic and make sure it's cool for your audience and for you so
0: uh yeah as you mentioned uh i have done a show about tantra before with uh vajrafati um so to like to to put it very very bluntly what's what does is, what is your tantra how does how does your tantra differ, or your your view on tantra, your tantra practice differ, um, you know, from how Vad how I explained it? I, I hate those Easter names. Still,
1: still, I totally get it. I totally get it. I'll try not to drop too much. Venom i won't be like that um, no it's
0: fine it's fine like if you can pronounce them go ahead and pronounce them but i i may struggle with it a bit okay no problem
1: but um so tantra really is the meeting of wisdom and method. and so what wisdom and method is is usually described as the male powers of the world or the consciousness mm-hmm. in method so that's a masculine upward facing triangle and the wisdom and this is strictly buddhism now we can go into shakta chantra which i touched on a lot with general lee and this there's a conceptual idea that parallels that has a parallel in between the two but it's not quite the same Just point that out first but the female um consort will say is wisdom and she's represented by a downward facing triangle And so when you unify them, you create the sphere of ultimate reality, which is Dharmadaya. So within Dharmadaya, you have different kinds of mandalas or different kinds of deities or different kinds of conceptions of goodness or... Different things It can be, you know, the Buddhism covers a vast range of schools, even within tantric Buddhism, there's like many different kinds. So I think just to keep it really simple is it's a, it's a religious method of sorcery that uses the idea of wisdom science, meaning that everything that you're instructed to do or told to do by the text or by your guru or by your teacher or whomever, it's all provable, but you're also following, uh, futuropath at the same time so you're also like if you're a christian you're doing the gospels or you're following Mm -hmm. the bible like a textual bible practice but then you also are practicing christian kabbalah at night or whatever it is so you're
0: okay
1: by it's like really it's the combination of three different transmissions of ideas so you're doing the open transmission which is like you say okay i'm a buddha so what exactly does that mean so that's just like You know, your eight noble truths, your your basic normie Buddhist values, okay? Then you say, I'm practicing uh, Mahayana, so I'm practicing like the greater sutra. But then Tantra is really the inner and secret practice, because Tantra dialectic is inner, outer secret. All, there's different layers to Tantra, but really Tantra is how you conceptualize the universe, how you interact with the universe, Mm -hmm. and like the guide that you use to get there.
0: So it's not just sexy stuff
1: unfortunately and (laughs) you know sex is super important i'm not diminishing it in any way it is just it's a very difficult path just like there are eight limbs of yoga there are eight limbs of tantra and so sex is considered one limb Mm -hmm. but it's also kind of when it's articulated it's a very uncommon practice you have famous dakinis especially even in buddhism so I know some of that may maybe surprise some people, but you have uh, stories about uh, a recent one, Sarah Kondro, who was a Dakini practitioner of Buddhism, very famous consort from the early 1900s, had two primary male consorts who were famous lamas, And she oh. used to practice sexual magic and she was able to, she supposedly at 60, she looked like she was twin. So you can see that there's this idea that it exists but the reality is, is like you both have to be of equal power. So your the person that you do sexual yoga with has to be of equal power to you. And if you're a man, you're going your measurement of power is different than for the female consort. So all of that said, it exists. It's real. It's a real practice. It's a real thing. It's just mm-hmm. that the. Potential to find someone that you're compatible with, that is spiritually compatible with you, that you're gonna both be as realized as a practitioner as the other. So, because you, you don't want to have someone that's weaker or lesser, that's a really big part of sexual tantra. Okay. Yeah. It's, okay, so talking about, we'll switch to Shakta tantra, which is the more Indian, the feminine, the where the goddess is the supernal god. So she, in that kind of tantra, you, the male practitioner needs Shakti which is his internal power, and the female practitioner, she has to be kind of an ocean of Shakti. So you have to have this kind of unity that happens. If one is lesser than the other, you will not get there there. So it's kind of pointless to engage in the sexual aspect of it. So what happens is, is you get people engaging in the sexual aspect of it just for the sexual gratification. <laughs> but... Yeah. It's really a ritual methodology. It should not be outside of the ritual methodology. Like it should not occur outside of ritual se- setting. Basically, that's how I I see it more as a method. Everything is a method with me. You know, if that's a harder method, if it's a more uncommon method, then for me, I just kind of look at it like, you know, what it, it's probably it's worth reading about. It's worth knowing a little bit about. But <laughs> mm-hmm. I I cannot devote myself to something that is so esoteric that's just my yeah okay no that that
0: does make sense and i i get the um of equal standing because um you know the the alignment of energies in like whatever spiritual practice it may be is very important um you know otherwise either nothing happens or you know like for the other it, you know, it goes goes way overboard, you know, if the man's more um, that's
1: usually, you know, when you read about it in the historical terms, that's how what it happens. Either usually it's the man. I'm sure the no man who's listening to this is that that surprised by it. But usually men they like sexual tantra the most and women tend who are good at sexual tantra tend to not like it. so you get a lot of men who want to do sexual tantra but they themselves are not really good at it
0: so what you're telling me is that all men want sex basically i think that's a good assumption it's a shocker it's a shocking <laughs> shocking statement
1: <laughs> so there's nothing wrong with it it's not like it's transgressive no, definitely it's you know it's it's natural but totally natural I just, but I want to just emphasize that even though it's not transgressive necessarily, it can be seen as transgressive because it's, it, it takes so much of self control. I think Tantra is a lot more about self control than people realize. And I'm not just talking about withholding orgasm or any of that, I'm talking just in general, like everyday life. It's quite conservative, quite strict. Like you have to be quite a um, you have to kind of have your shit together.
0: So um, like the whole um, conservative thing when it comes to the the sexual part that's what I uh, what I did understood from uh, from Vajra and Vajra's content and all. Uh, but like outside of the well let's just say the, the bedroom, or the you know the ritual space or whatever um are you expected to to live expected
1: to behave like or is there isn't there a guideline this is a great question it's so like with everything in tantra it's inner outer secret so there are three levels at least three levels of meaning like there are ways to answer maybe that's a different way to say it yes it is relatively conservative from the exterior you are supposed (laughs) to be follow your sutra your mainstream orthodox during the day or that's just one way I'm not to describe it it doesn't have to be during the day like you can practice tantra at night that's usually the traditional time but you can do that during the day it's not a problem but that but you are supposed to be a mainstream practitioner of whatever so if you're uh Indian tantric then you're going to go to the temples and also pray in a Puranic or Charya way, which is the right-handed method. So you're going okay. to do all those things that are normative. And a lot of your practices are just your day-to-day life is going to be wife, kids, working outside the home. You're It's supposed to be a typical householder, kind of. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be a typical householder. Someone who has a wife, has kids, works outside the home supports their family but engages in a secret spiritual practice and when i say secret i don't mean it's secret necessarily from people in your house or even in your family or even people around you people might know you pray to so say for instance a tantric goddess you're Mm -hmm. not going to have the image of the tantric goddess in your house you might have a picture of her but she's going to be in a householder iconography. So she's not going to be left-handed at face value. Because you're not going to bring those kind of energies into your house. Oh, okay. That's what um
0: that's what the temple is for, of course. Exactly. Oh, that seems quite contradictory. Addictive, actually. In um, like what we're taught about um, European paganism, that you know, the the home is the hearth, is the hearth, is you know, it's where you where you have your um, your altar, is where you have you know things, maybe not like depictions of the god, but things maybe dedicated to the gods. And all, but I I know that. The uh, the Eastern religions are very much still about having um, a designated place for um, for worship and.
1: Like the is the homes. I think you'll find uh, this interesting. We do have, so I do have an altar, like pretty big setup, like a Vajrayana altar. And most people who are practicing either Indian Tantra or Tantric Buddhism will have a pretty good altar setup like with multiple deities, multiple statues. You have to have all your tools, your ritual implements. Like it's having your private altar is a big deal. Okay. So you would have your private altar in your house. However, you... You aren't going to invite the wrathful or carnal ground cemetery dwelling deities into your house. One way I, I guess. Sorry, that. go ahead. Okay, so that's all your desk. But you might have a depiction of the same deity in your house that you personally uh, is your personally your your divinity, like your ishta devata, your deity within your heart. So you might have like okay, say so say it's Kali, because every everybody knows Kali. There are different depictions of her, so she can be Dakshina uh, Excuse me, Dakshina Kali. Which is, um, she looks young and like kind of playful, and she's standing on Shiva with her right foot on Shiva, and she has usually four arms, and her tongue is sticking out. She's not surrounded by ghosts or or wolves or jackals or any of that or you can have Badra Kali who's the Kali with multiple faces and multiple arms she's like the mother version of Kali but you would never have Smashan Kali which is the Kali of the cremation ground in your house
0: oh like like that okay so more the um like the the righteous loving you have more
1: exactly exactly you have more yeah okay okay. or the helpful deity you don't take on the uh, really wrathful like sorcerer deity you don't have that in your house yeah you don't okay that that, energy in. I mean
0: that that would be kind of like for let's say for us here in the west to have a, um, like a picture of the, the the grim reaper on your altar for example you know even though he's necessarily a bad guy just but you know the the what we associate with it exactly. the whole like exactly. death and sadness and whatever it's not the kind of energy you want in your house so instead of that you do like you know like a crucifix or
1: uh you know or the yeah. hammer um okay and
0: yeah and, and
1: so what most people do is they will do like um uh, so in Buddhism, it's a little different for Shakta Tantra versus Buddhism, but there is a similarity mm-hmm. there. So you can have your multiple deity practice, but you really only have one Ishta meaning one central you practice. But you might be close with all of the ones you practice. Buddhism really is a kind of a chaotic monism, not always neat and clean because every different picture or te- and text, as well, like the different tantric texts, they're all complete ontological systems in them of themselves. You can, one mandala might show this Buddha as the central deity, or another picture might show another Buddha as a central deity. And Indian Tantra is very similar. Like there's Kala Tantra, which is focused on Kali and the 10 Mahavidyas, or just Kali by herself. Then you have Bhairava Tantras, who focused on uh, Bhairava, who is a form of Shiva. It's not quite Shiva, it's a little different, but it's, it's, equi- you can say it's the same. Okay. It's not quite the thing. And then you also have like the Sri chakra system, which is a southern Indian system, which is focused on Lalita, but also has left handed goddesses, but left handed practices are less important to chakra. But basically, the deities that they're the deity that you have inside will or that you pray to as your highest power, they will determine what kind of other deities also exist in the mandala. So if you do uh, color, there's color is a really big part of it. So there's mm-hmm. like red, red deities, white deities, yellow deities, green deities, and blue, black deities. So generally, if you have a say, you have a red deity, like say it's Lalita. So she's like the queen, 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 the highest queen in Chuchaka. Yeah. Chakra. She's reddish in color. So she's totally fine to have in the house and all her subsidiary deities. She's fine to have in because she okay. only brings like the it's kind of like a good luck and like everything is bountiful, happy, and beautiful all at the same
0: time. Yeah. Okay. Cause you know, we, we do associate rats also with, um, you know, with love and all, so I I, I can understand how that would be uh, perceived as more uh, like more pleasant, more bountiful. It has its its other side as well but
1: i can i can see that oh red definitely tantra has all the colors have their wrathful and and peaceful aspect so that definitely exists red is more of a magnetizing color so it's a power growing color that's another way to think of it for tantra. oh yeah okay
0: well that's that's a, a thing pretty much worldwide you know um every everyone who has a or like wants to portray a certain power they'll wear like red like whether it be um, like if you look at the old timey Anglo-Saxon kingdoms like the knights and whatever those kings they would wear like those big red mantles um, or you know in these days uh, red shoes for example especially red leather shoes is a sign of yeah. um, of power so yeah it is a very color it can be a very powerful color color of blood color of love
1: yes and in in tantra the i know that in more in the european pantheon red is more assigned a masculine quality and it is in tantra it is in tantra but it's not it has a feminine aspect which is very important and perhaps more important than the masculine aspect so all that battlefield imagery the blood imagery the iron the soldiers that's very important even for the goddess not just for um, called Mangala or uh, Mars, but he he's more of a he actually is different than in uh, European magic because he's assigned more of an aggressive posture if I, in my experience. But in but in um ta- in like uh, I'm sorry, in Tantra he's actually assigned more luck. He's more like he brings about marriage. He he helps people overcome obstacles. He's not Mars is not really assigned a negative. Not very much. That he is... has negative qualities, but he's much more positive. And so he is able to the goddess who stands above Mars, she's she's much luckier than like say a god or like airy in the European pantheon. Like he's he's not necessarily like good or bad. He's got like a mixture. He's like very gray sometimes. Like he's very mm-hmm. like really pro-human or anti-human. He's kind of sometimes this way, sometimes that way. She's always pro. She's always pro save the world, like save mankind, like that. Like that's and always like brings luck, brings fire. She brings change through destruction it's a good way to understand
0: oh okay still has some of that that mars energy in it. good yes of course mars is very much you know like mars aries they are very much war gods very much about destruction but from destruction new things can also of course and it can like hardship can bring people together even more i i i I get it i get the uh, you know love and war so
1: yeah that's Makes what sense. you know, that's what it is. And that's I always thought that Durga, who is kind of the she's very battlefield and she's very much the queen as well. She has like if you want to give her like a position, she would appear at both um Geborah and Netsock. So she's both green and red or green and fiery. Also, I don't
0: I don't know if you if there was you on Twitter who made that, um, or if I'm like completely mixing it up now. But that also does kind of sound like uh, Freya from the Norse Germanic.
1: That's what I, mean. I personally think, but yeah. I don't know very much about Freya, so maybe I'm just looking. Well, at Freya
0: funny. is uh, she's a very powerful goddess. Of course, she's very, uh, very powerful. Uh, magic user, Sider, a very a uh, a female form of magic. Uh, in fact she's the one who taught Odin side um which had which which has some uh some caveats of course because she's of teaching course. a very powerful male god female magic so it's kind of mm, but um yeah like uh, the goddess of of love and war and uh, the 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 hat of the the vanir pantheon so yeah that's she's the very
1: gods, right or the more uh, yeah, those
0: those are more the uh, the earthbound
1: gods. Okay, indeed. I um, want to make sure. I want to make sure I'm getting it all. No,
0: quick. of course, and she very much has uh, what I how I always like to uh, to say a layam or slayam kind of attitude. Okay, okay. So again, very much the, the that's love very and that's, love very, and war.
1: that's very Durga. Lay them and slam. I like that a lot. And they have, uh, they share, I don't know what you call it um, Norse, but we call it in Sanskrit, it's called Vahana, like the mount that they ride. We noticed that Freya has the cat. And yeah, Norwegian forest cats uh, who pull her chariot. Those are big cats. Cats, right? So yeah. Durga can ride a lion or a tiger, and they mean very different things. So lion means that she's descending from heaven, means that she's composed of all the lesser gods, like all the elemental gods, all the Vedic gods, those and the Mahadevs, meaning like Shiva, Vishnu, all the planets. They compose her whole body. Her hair, her jewelry, her weapons. They are all made up of all the gods in creation. That's when she rides the lion and she comes down between the two mountains upon the river and she shakes the world as she descends. That's the myth, the story. But the, the two tiger... Mountains. Sorry, go ahead. Two mountains, like two two setting
0: sun in between them. Kind of the image that I'm getting. Yeah, you know, the lion, that's, the that's, lion's
1: that's, mane. That's right. And when the lion roars, it shakes the heavens. That's the... What they say. Oh,
0: right, right,
1: right. And when she rides the tiger, that is her arising from the earth. She's not composed of all the gods. She is all the gods. Like, she is the greatest god. Like... when she is riding the tiger, she is pure Shakti. She is the pure magic. She is the pure power. She is the pure vital force of the whole universe arising on the earth. And the tiger is the protector deity of the forest. So it's much more earthly. It's much more bound in material creation. The tiger mount.
0: Oh yeah, I mean the the tiger from the the big cats, the 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 large species. He is the most powerful. So that exactly. does makes that does make sense that he is. Uh, He is seen or she, I guess in this case, uh,
1: is seen as the as the holy protector. Yes, totally. No, I agree. There's a lot of like a similarity there. Um. Also, you were talking about with NYP that he has a mandala. Well, she first believed me we should talk about the Yoginis and the Valkyries, I believe that's what they're called. Yeah, the, the Valkyries, the, um, those
0: are, uh, I don't know if they're necessarily a, a part of Freya, but they do belong with, and they are the, uh, they are the ones <clears throat> who carried um, the slain soldiers from the battlefield into her hall.
1: Uh, Freya has first pick. That's something that really stood out to me that you said in that episode because Durga, she's sometimes called the mother of the Yoginis, but she's not really the mother. They're just kind of associated with her and depending on the story, obviously you understand this because that's how I believe Norsemus are too. Like they, different stories will narrate different aspects of the same story or tells a slightly different version. So depending on the story, she can birth the Yoginis, but generally she's not the mother of the yoginis but she sometimes is called the queen because they always appear with her in battle to defeat the demons or the anti-gods or whoever they're fighting that day they also are much closer considered much the ring of yoginis is considered closer to the central part of the mandala than like the other so they so in that sense i think there's a parallel they they are closer to her they're closer to the mahadev or shiva or whomever you want to say is the central deity they, they have first pick as well of who they bring in as greater heroes. Because there's also the worldly heroes, which are more of an extra, they're more outer ring. Okay.
0: Um, small correction, I have to make um, Child of Ash. Pointed me to this. Uh Njortz is actually the head of the Vanir. He is um mother uh father. So Freya's father is the the head of the Vanir tribe of the the gods. And she is also a honorary member of the uh, of the Aesir after the the big Aesir vanir and so uh, I had to uh, I had to correct myself uh, real quick and this is not this is another one that I found uh, really interesting uh, there was in German cave I believe the um, a carved figure of the lion man was um, I believe the representation of Odin um still makes sense because Odin is kind of the uh the equal opposite of uh of Freya. He uh just on the other side, but is the oldest known depiction of a god dating back at least thirty five thousand years found in uh like I said, in a cave in Germany. So also uh in European paganism, in well Germanic paganism Germanic beliefs, uh the lion is a known figure, the, the lion man, the, the the man with the head of a lion depicting a god. So I guess those those
1: um well you know like there it, it, is a form of Vishnu that takes the form of a lion man. I don't know. Have you ever heard of that before Naram Simha? No. So there is the final form well so vishnu has 20 some avatars but really the important avatars are called the dasa avatar which are the 10 avatars they're each is in if you want to they're each assigned a specific or how it m- really works is the each Mahavija is assigned a certain avatar that they so he, vishnu is the only god that dies so every avatar that he spawns also dies in his own stories his One of his pinnacle stories, we'll say, is the form of Naram Simha. This Asura or anti-god, which obviously we should talk about that Aesir, Vanir, Asura, Deva um, axiom, I guess. Because I think that's really interesting. And I think there's like so much there. And most people don't really get into how much (laughs) there is. I think there's a lot there. But anyway, he takes that form and that's, i mean that's what i was gonna say but she also is associated but she is not associated with vishnurga she's only shiva's wife ever shiva's wife vishnu can be seen as like a more peripheral figure in their story mm-hmm. but he's still really important he still plays a pivotal role none of the play or none of the story can happen without him he plays a key role but he's not a main character there's also a goddess with a lion head. I just want to say that too. A goddess. Okay. Just like the uh, Egyptian, like some people might be familiar with that. There is yeah.
0: A, my yeah. my uh my fiance or my well my wife at this point basically um fireface she's very much into the uh the Egyptian
1: pantheon has very uh, very close connection with well, them. They understand the similarity of that because even Indians often find mm-hmm. that they're great similarity between the lion headed goddess and the lion headed goddess in Egypt. Her name is um well one of her names is Simha Muka, which literally just means like lion lion headed.
0: It was so simple back then, like, oh we need a name for a goddess. Well she has a lion head, doesn't she? Yeah. Yeah, let's just do that. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> Why overthink it? Lionhead, lionheaded goddess. Everyone knows who you mean.
1: So I do think that. Also, I don't know if Freya has other forms. Like, does she ever take like uh, different forms or different names? Um, not to
0: my knowledge. Um, because you know she is. is, She's she's Freya. She is already such a uh, a powerful goddess, and everyone. <clears throat> everyone like knows her the the, the gods in um in Norse germanic mythology they really take other forms the only one <clears throat> that i know sometimes takes on another form is there are two actually that is uh odin voton he uh sometimes
1: appears as oh, just a a gray wanderer. So there is a lot of connection here. I'm going to let you finish, but there is a lot of. I have a whole. Are <laughs> you know.
0: And uh, Loki, the the trickster god, the well-known trickster god. He um, he can well, like in a very basic way, he can. Um, but I do believe that that is the. Those are the only only two gods of whom it's of whom it's written down that they that they can and that they do. I'm sure that other gods, if they want to, that they can. Um, But I am not familiar with any... Yeah, Uh, although I'm not familiar with any stories or sagas um, besides uh, the ones about Loki, whenever he has to, you know, fix shit, because he always always fucks up. That's kind of like... Yeah, and Odin. Odin. Yeah, so many names. Um, when like that's that's his form here on on Earth on Midgard, a gray wanderer.
1: It's very similar to Bhairava Shiva or Rudra Shiva or Rudra Bhairava. So when Shiva's wife dies, Shnu cuts her up into fifty-one pieces, basically, and her corpse falls upon the earth. Shiva descends down. He lives on Mount Kailash. That's how it's conceived of, which is a real mountain. In the in the Himalayas, but it's not Mount Everest. It's a just its own mountain. Okay. So he he descends from the mountain, and everywhere that he goes in the world, he's covered in the gray corpse ash, like the ash from the cremation ground, and he holds the head of god or brahma because he cut one of them off cut there's brahma has five heads cut one of brahma's heads off for a different reason but it's part of his look i guess when he's wandering the world so there is there is a similarity there so he's always brave and magical he's very magical she was like the source of all consciousness so our perception of reality very important this idea
0: no i i know very i know too little about um the the you know, Buddhists, Indian uh, gods. but I, I always find it very interesting when, when we find commonalities like this, even though it's Votan <clears throat> uh, just being, um, you have to. In Northern Europe, shit get, gets cold here. See,
1: that's the difference. Shiva is always depicted wearing a tiger skirt and nothing else. And maybe some fresh demon heads around his neck, but nothing else.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, tiger skirt and some accessories. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and that's you know that's why i think it's so amazing that like the stories are so incredibly similar but like really have evolved evolved to the land basically because like i said you know here in uh in northern europe our you know our autumn our our fall our winters are very Harsh. They can be very harsh, especially if you go um, like higher up north towards Scandinavia, which, of course, you know for a big part um, is located either near or even past uh, the pole circle. So it gets very. Cold, very wet, very rough. So you have to cloak yourself, and that's you know why our gods are these just strong warrior gods because we always have had to fight against against uh, against everything, against nature, against our ourselves. Uh, And you know, God, I I wish I could just you know walk around all year with a in a tiger skirt and well and you know
1: f- Nepal is accessories. Cold. Well just say that Nepal is pretty cold and so is Tibet's really cold. So, you know Tibetan deities are often very ferocious as well. So I do understand the idea of like you live in a ferocious landscape, your gods are going to be ferocious it's just yeah yeah it just it completely makes sense and you're going to have i don't know if you have this equivalent concept in the norse tradition but we have the idea that you have to quell the local god or you have to suppress them or you have to convert them or you have to um, make a pact with them or something you have to contain them because then the land will not be so ferocious and will help you get to where you want to
0: um, go oh yeah uh, please them here is it, it's uh, it's more like please them don't um like the the local local sprites local sprites and spirits it's not just the gods like the
1: no 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 totally the whole the whole God.
0: land God as it's yes. as its sprites and spirits and you know other entities um the the big big ones uh or like very prevalent ones being the the fey uh fae or fairy folk in their many many forms they are the true like guardians of the earth, like they live in the grasses, they live in the woods, they you know live between the roots of the trees. So if you're gonna do anything or if you want to please anyone that um you know please Faye, please the fairies, the the gods is more for the uh like for yourself, for your your family for your people uh for the um, like the big rituals um so it's it's very much I don't want to say like a, a divide because it's still it's still no, the Iktras, it's, it's still we, the thecio still, still sorry go ahead
1: no 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 sorry I'm sorry
0: oh no, it's uh it's very much uh like it's um the the nature spirits the gods the uh our ancestors then you know of course the the darker you know, have their dwellings and have their dwellings in our minds as well. Um, so it's very, it's very diverse. But uh, it's not, yeah, it's like it's not as much having to having to defeat or uh, or conquer these land sprites because as a you know a mere mortal
1: human it's hard i understand (laughs)
0: yeah uh, especially i understand uh,
1: especially with the fey you know i'm freaking married to a fey i know all about it i understand that okay well we do (laughs) i didn't want i don't want to make it sound like it's all about suppression or force because it really isn't like there is a practice called uh, riwo sangcho which is the mountain god offering and that's like a whole liturgical practice that you go to a top of a mountain you go, go through the whole like um sanskrit or there's a whole category of buddhist gods that follows very similar to the sanskrit categories and the t- indian tantric categories so nature spirits like you call them fae we would call them like a yaksha mm-hmm. which is Ritual or literally just a nature spirit, it's like the spirits of the trees or the sometimes the water, although that can also be ruled by the naga, which are the snake people, but also kind of yaksha's too. But not they're also their own thing. So there's a there's the categories are hard and fast, but the the action practice that's not, it's more nebulous. But there is like things that you can do just to appease them. Like there you have this thing that the fifth Dalai Lama which was in the 1704, I think he instituted this uh, cedar offering so you'd burn cedar leaves outside after you've done your like main practices to appease mm-hmm. the local spirits or the local gods yakshas like nature spirits are considered the lowest form but they're d- they're still celestial so they're still part of like the heaven the deva loka, but mm-hmm. they are just the lower part of that but lower in like their existence but they just exist more on the material plane than not yeah okay that
0: sounds sounds similar uh, the Fae, they are still like, interdimensionals, they are still yes. more yes. powerful, more powerful yeah, beings, way more but powerful they are beings. not, but
1: they are not. Buddhism started as a Yaksha cult, actually. Monastic Buddhism in the early Indian time, like 1st uh, century AD to about 3rd century, like Ashoka, Mauryan Empire, all of that, they that was very much focused on the Yakshas, is it, like the local nature spirits. And then they underwent an apotheosis because in Buddhism, every single being can be brought into the Dharma. So every being can become a Buddha, no matter what, like a demon, a ghost, anything, all of those things can be eventually become a Buddha. It's just considered harder at certain planes of existence, but everyone's welcome in the beginning.
0: Oh, that's, that's an interesting concept. I did not know that. I did not know that every, every creature can know.
1: Every concept. And yeah, can become a Buddha.
0: Okay, because in this, this may be more the the new age teachings. I haven't like really delved much into um, into that part. But uh, that only from from my understanding, it was that um, like the human form is the the highest form before so spiritual form. So only from from true. your female form, you can attain apotheosis. You can ascend to divinity.
1: So that is true. Like in the sense that humans are the best, they're positioned the best to project upwards or downwards. However, because in Buddhism the goal is the middle pillar, so you're supposed to walk up the central path, and or if you're looking at the tree of life, it would be the central pillar. However, because it's wisdom and method, meaning that there's like different ways to achieve the climbing of the tree, that's the metaphor you want to use. Mm-hmm. You can use things on the re- right and left path. So beings that are more on the right or more on the left, they can still climb the tree as well. So humans are just better positioned to do it because we have free will and we're not as bound by the laws of um, karma and dharma. Whereas uh, lesser, I don't want mean lesser as in they're lesser than us because they're actually spiritually more powerful. Obviously, you know that. Mm hmm. But they, but sometimes beings can be trapped in like their plane of existence. And it's also a conscious existence. Like they exist like in a miserable consciousness. Like a ghost who's always hungry, who's always thirsty, who's always craving human, like human life. Yeah. But it's going to be really difficult for them to overcome like their immediate desires. That's where i think humans are the oh, too plus we reset our karma when we come back as human we reset it well not one to one but we reset a lot of like we are able to live out our past karmas through our lives our many life a ghost that's a serious karmic repercussion so you might be in the ghost world for like as a ghost for eight lifetimes. but you know human lifetime is finite we're able to just like come and go and expend our karma and then come back Mm
0: -hmm. oh okay does sound like it would make sense because as a you know as it goes with that eternal like you say you know the the eternal hunger the eternal thirst and whatever being a non-corporeal being hard like it's it it sounds so hard to um to get that relief yes Uh, i do i do not want to be trapped there like no. i i i like eating i like good food i like you know good drinks or whatever i'm very much like uh, the rest well, of no my family I, I, <laughs> no i i
1: agree we should enjoy this life we should enjoy our existence. Yeah. very much a proponent of like not not asceticism i'm like into you know we have pleasure and we have pain and we have a balance of everything enjoy listening to podcasts and ever wonder can i make a podcast but it seems so complicated and good audio production can take time. What if there was a way to create an amazing podcast easily? Well, now there is. Introducing Podcasting Made Easy from podcasting Audio. My production team will handle your entire audio production, allowing you to be the star of your show. This is Podcasting Made Easy. How easy? Well, so easy you don't even have to press record. Now that's easy. Your listeners are waiting. Let's deliver. Sign up for a free strategy call today at podcasticaudio.com slash easy.
0: Uh, Asceticism is a like that's a big thing in Buddhism, right? Like it wasn't it the Buddha who quite like, literally or what, one one of the Buddhas, I guess. I, I don't know. Always find
1: um, like the easy way. When you're done, please
0: no, just please, please explain because I'm so just to, trying. So <laughs> I'm trying to.
1: So that so you'll find this interesting. I'll tie in Indo-Aryanism through the whole way. So the original OG Gotama Buddha, historical Buddha. So we're talking five thirty-six uh, BCE. Who was also Indo-Aryan, a Shakya tribe. He was a Shakya, so Indo-Indo-Aryan, literally from Nepal. Anyways, maybe had red hair. We don't know, but that is a one of the conjecture anyways he is not the tantric buddha he is not the buddha of tantric buddhism and perhaps not the buddha of sutra buddhism sutrayana but he is a buddha so he is a worldly buddha so the tantra devises a tripartite model which is sambhogaya nirmankaya and dharmakaya so it's really mind, body. Different Buddhas can embody different kinds of enlightened body, enlightened sound, or enlightened mind, and some Buddhas can be all three things at the same time. So in old school Tibetan Buddhism, which also is called Nyingma, old school, we have a tantric Buddha. His name's Guru Rinpoche. So everybody might know him. He's also known as Padmasambhava, meaning the Lotus-born Guru. Also Indo, excuse me. Also Indo-Aryan from the Swap mm-hmm. Valley. Pakistan, or he was from maybe Odisha, which is a, a state in India now. But, anyways, regardless of that, he was also from the Shakya tribe. At least one of them. He has like a kind of miraculous birth story. But there are five cosmic Buddhas. There's Amoga City, who's green, associated with the air. There's um, Ratna Sambhava, who's yellow, who's associated with earth. There's Amitabha, who's red, associated with fire. There's Virochana, who's associated with light and he's white, and also metal, if you're using the Tibetan elemental ideas. And then you have um, Akashobya, who's blue-black, who's associated with water. So those are cosmic Buddhas, meaning that they might have been Buddhas as people in a different timeline or a different universe, but mm-hmm. they never were necessarily human. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. So they're kind of like they're cosmic Buddhas. So they exist like outside of our timeline. They exist outside of time itself they mm-hmm. might have existed though like they, they are given hagiographies of their existence and their story of like this they existed in this realm at this time and then there's also the primordial couple so the primordial couple is called adi buddha and it's the closest thing that tantric buddhism has to like god god but it's not god of the world it's god it's the godhead that exists outside of everything and above ever. So we have many conceptions of it, but Buddhahood really is this ability to marry wisdom and method together. So that's why there are can be many Buddhas, but there's only a limited amount allowed in each yuga. So each of the four phases of the Vedic, how they think of the wheel of time. There's yeah, only yeah. so many people who can, or ghosts or demons or whatever it is. Only so many beings can become a Buddha, but many can become in one Yuga. So I know that's a little confusing, but that is a relatively clean way to describe it.
0: I I think I think I get it. It's 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 a lot. It's a lot of new I know, information, it's, but it's
1: not it, it's very interesting. So for the Buddhas. The, okay, yeah. And they each represent a state of consciousness. So if you don't want to think of them as like externalities, like I'm not, I'm personally not like polytheist. I'm I, like I said, I'm more of a monist. But that's not really. The category is, like, not neat and clean either. But you can think of them as conceptual ideas as well. So you don't have to think of them as, like, external to yourself. They can exist within you or as things that you're aspiring to do or aspiring to be.
0: Okay, so true energetic beings, if you will. Um, Yeah, okay,
1: okay. It's different concepts of reality. They have, like, worldly associations, like, or correspondences. Just like the tree of life, like they have colors, elements, and then they have all these different emanations and gods. Well, they're emanations of the same being. So the being exists at the top and then emanates outward and downwards. And then all these other beings come forth and are part of their greater mandala. But then you also have these things called, I know this is crazy. You have these, um what are called the highest yoga tantric deities like chakra sambara or kala chakra or eight pronouncements haruka or all these anyways it doesn't matter which one but they're the (laughs) the crazy they're the crazy ones that people know like when they look up like when you google tantric buddhism you'll see Mm -hmm. like i think an image of, of chakra sambara comes up so it's a blue guy with multiple arms and he's um, in coitus with uh, Yogini who's red, and and she has two arms, she's holding a knife and a skull cup. So anyways, they're engaged in creation and destruction and consciousness, practice oh, wow. all at the same time. So it's That's... conceptual, but it's it's also part of reality. That's quite the image. Oh, wait,
0: I do believe I, I found the... Yeah. Oh, shit, man. That's... Okay. I just want to like for everyone watching sorry for the people listening you're not gonna see you're not gonna see this but um like are you talking about this
1: one because yeah, that's that one that's exactly oh that's a, you even pulled up a rare one see how her legs are holding on to him yeah that is shakti or the prana or the wisdom in the active position sometimes they're not sometimes their leg position her leg position is different so Every leg position means something very different. It actually refers to a different stage in the tap.
0: There is a lot going on here,
1: but yeah, wow. Well, you no, know, she is. She is um, very important. She becomes at one stage the Sarva Buddha, which means the Buddha of that is all the Buddhas put together. So just like with Durga, where Durga becomes the eminent mother, the mother that exists on the material plane, she becomes the transcendent mother who exists at the highest point. So so most deities will wear the crown of whatever Buddha they belong to. So a lot of deities, especially in the earliest yogas, will or the earliest tantras, excuse me, will wear like the blue crown of Akashobhya. But she's particularly special because she's considered the empty crown Buddha. So she is a Buddha. And she is above all the Buddha. Because she is all the Buddha. Her her powerful state is when she is in union. So when she is creating, destroying both the world and consciousness, that is the image you just showed. So it's the moving the wheel of time. It's stopping the wheel of time. It's helping the sorcerer climb up the tree. It's It means there's so many layers of... Yeah, union. but she's really important. I'll just say that so everybody can kind of get the idea of that. <laughs> ogini is very important. <clears throat> yeah, no, sure,
0: sounds like it. If she, you know, eventually becomes the, you know, the Buddha above all Buddhas, then yeah, I, I do imagine she is very important, very, very powerful, because that's that's quite a place. That's quite a place to be. Sorry
1: about that. Fine.
0: No, it's okay. No, but that's, that's quite a place to be, you know, to be the, the Buddha above the Buddhas. That's...
1: But not everybody will view it like that. Not everybody will see that because if some, if some people practice a different text or they practice from a different school, there's five main schools. But if someone practices a different text or a different cycle of tantras, because tantras mm-hmm. really refer to a specific category of text that Includes like magical practices and like other things like snake, they'll have things about treating snake bites. If someone wants a really good example, that's in English, they can find the Sadhana Mala, which is a a, a tantric text. It's an outer tantric text, not a higher yoga text, but an outer tantric text. It's on the Library of Congress website. So they can go read that and see what it's all about. But it's really just like simple, like little um, the dialogue so it's always in a dialogue they it's somewhat it's the male deity will say giving instruction to the female deity or vice versa okay. so that's it's always a dialogue
0: <clears throat> you'll have to uh you have to send me the the name later okay, and i'll well, make sure i'll um i'll make sure to uh to find a uh, a good link to uh, to them the document or the book and I'll put that up in the uh, in the show notes I'll put that up in the description that seems very very interesting it's something I I would like to read as well.
1: Hi everyone this is JJ the co-founder of Good Pods if you haven't heard of it yet Good Pods is like Goodreads or Instagram but for podcasts it's new it's social it's different and it's growing really fast there are more than 2 million podcasts and we know that it is impossible to figure out what to listen to. On Good Pods, you follow your friends and podcasters to see what they like. That is the number one way to discover new shows and episodes. You can find Good Pods on the web or download the app. Happy listening. I think you would like it. I mean, it's very basic. It's very much like how to treat a snake bite, how to make this potion, how to deal with this disease. It's just very practical magic, like 101. With like some philosophy, some astrology, some like morality. This okay, is, it's exactly what you would if you've read other European grimoires or other texts. It's very similar in some way. Okay, well, it definitely sounds
0: sounds like something for me. Sounds like something for the for the tribe, and definitely for my uh, for my wife. She is the the witchy one two of us. So,
1: no, I think that you no, know, and you don't have to be like actively practicing magic or whatever to do tantric buddhism because a lot of its internal work is a way to deal with external problems using the internal method so you don't have to be like you don't have to be any you don't have to do and know anything about magic you don't have to do know anything about it i just happen to know a little bit about a bunch of different other things so i'm able to like kind of see what we're doing and call it something that is more accessible to a Western audience. But really, you don't have to do any, like you don't have to think of it as a magical practice. You can, but you don't have to. So I just want to say that. Okay.
0: Well, that a lot. Because um, especially f- with my... Uh... My wife and I, fire myself. She really is the uh, the magical practitioner. I mean, we'll we'll do um, rituals every now and then, uh, especially on uh, on days like today, the summer solstice. Even though at work at the moment, which I'm not too pleased about. Um, but I'm more the like the gaining noses kind of kind of type. Like I just want to I want to know and, and understand as much as, as possible. Well,
1: you know, like also training my
0: ass off because you know I still have to or have, to, uh, have to, to please as
1: a, well. Yeah, you have to do a little bit of both. I th- I think I think my experience you have to like we have to build like our internal power, and we also have to do the the wisdom, which is like the learning, the gnosis. That's a very important like Buddhism is Gnostic. Like I mean, that's the whole thing. It's wisdom and method. It's the magic with the text knowledge. It's like the practice with the learning and the instruction so it's definitely like that's why like exactly what you're saying like with your wife it's that's why uh it's always conceptualized as like the primordial couple in coitus because that is what it is it's the meeting of those <sighs> two things of the the divine male
0: and the divine female and... exactly
1: yeah but in coitus buddhism is very specific about that. that is the primordial state it has to be in union if it's not in union it can be, it can still mean it's still important. It's just not, it's not the primordial state. So that's where the sex thing comes in is like you can see yeah, it okay. the outer, but there's a deeper conceptual layer there as well.
0: Yeah. Okay. The, the primordial state, because it's, you know, of course, the, or like in its purest form, of course, it is the acts of creation, procreation. Exactly. And like how and in in what way are we closer to the divine than when we are creating and especially you know, especially the divine male divine female together in creation yeah I I totally I totally get that that's in um in Western esotericism especially alchemy. Yeah. Yeah, especially yeah, uh yeah. alchemy like spiritual alchemy the defined male and the fine female and the, uh the alchemical alchemical marriage uh, how they call it is a uh is a big thing so it's it's awesome to see that that's also um like that also translates uh like slightly differently of course in Buddhism like it's it's awesome how that's like there is this one worldly idea of things it's just it's manifested and translated and brought in different ways depending on the culture depending on the land, depending on the people the history i I find that it's just incredibly fascinating
1: no i do too and i also think when it comes to the i know i don't probably place enough emphasis on the male consort but he's very important it's just that the Er, the texts that have come out since the 12th century have placed more importance on the female consort. So initially, male consort was more of the, the dude, if you want to say that. But, <laughs> but the female concert became increasing as more tantric texts were written. And that's true of Indian Tantra as well as Tibetan Tantra and Nepali Tantra, all of that
0: i mean i i do understand like if we're talking about creation if we're talking about procreation like i am a, a father of two myself and my wife has a uh has a son from a previous relationship as well so you know father of two stepfather of one uh like it is the um, the woman of course who you know who bears the fruit who bears the child with her for uh for you know 9 months give or take a little less a little more and she is the one bringing new life into this world of course so i do understand why there would be a uh, a bigger focus on the the divine female but you no know, then again how well, can the how can I the divine could... female become pregnant if it if not for a 100 no a 100 the divine male
1: so two points about that. So the goddess that I find closest to Odin, I know that people might think that's weird that I'm putting a goddess with Odin, who's the All-Father, but in Mahavija system in Kala Tantra, the goddess is the all-father as well as the all-mother. She is the all-thing. Just like Yavadra Yogini is the Sarva Buddha. She is all the Buddhas. He becomes the supernal power. So there's a goddess called Dumavati who exists outside of time. And a lot of what you were saying in our conversation, but also in your other series that you did that was such a good series with um, uh, NYP, mm-hmm. you talked about how Odin is like the magician above all the magicians. Well, Dumavati... Yeah is considered to have all the ritual. She has all the power. She is the most powerful of all the forms of goddess, of the god. Mm -hmm. Even more than Kali, even more than Chinamasta, everybody. Nobody is her equal. And she's also associated with crows. She also wears a gray cloak. Sometimes it's white, sometimes it's black, but usually it's gray. Her skin is also colored gray. Sometimes it's considered turquoise, but that's more of an artistic affectation, I think. It has a meaning. But yeah. it's, it's usually she's described if you want to just strict strictly text. she's described as ashen gray. So I just think that she's the most like ashen gray. yeah that's like wields a spear. She, she's one of the only goddesses that does not wield the tree shield like the trident she can wield the trident but she generally wields a stick that has like a silver or a metal point but it's like a it's just like a single thing because it represents um like the merging of the male with female like there's it's not two things it's one thing so she will just have like a pointed stick spear kind of thing
0: that really does sound like Odin even the the crow uh, part, even though with Odin he has his well, ravens, he also of course. um but the difference between a raven and a crow is literally a matter of opinion.
1: like it's, I agree it's like one other opinion. Yes.
0: That, that is the difference. So they're...
1: You know, well, sometimes her mount is described as a raven when you're looking at English translation. It just depends on who is interpreting it. That really does sound
0: like a female version of Odin, like the female
1: but she's female not... energy
0: of, of Odin. Like uh, a good example that I know, and I have one of the... I never knew that actually, but uh, like most of us know Thor. We know Donar. You know, big, burly bloke. Um, loves to drink and you know hits first and asks questions later. Um but he also has his his female counterpart Ludana. Oh. There isn't known about her but um you know aside that she is uh, like the the female side of thor she is his feminine energy and uh it's something i i learned through uh another dutch tribe tribe of the fox um shout out to uh to Martijn and Dirkje love you guys um but like i i never knew that and then later on with uh martine from tribe of the fox we did a um an energy ritual with some gods and some goddesses. Uh, one of them was being Ludana because you know I have such a close connection with uh, with Donar. Then um, you know a connection with Ludana should be there as well. And if anything, she's the one I had the closest connection with. I had the deepest connection with um, during the uh, the energy ritual at least. So I thought so. You know, you describing a goddess who is very much like Odin, you know, wears a cloak, grey, spear, you know, very powerful magic practitioner, only female, really makes me think of um of that it really makes me think that, you know, maybe she he is the uh the female energy of Houdin. Maybe the you know the, the the furious rage of a female, you know, how she is very hell.
1: furious. She is very her power is the delusion. Is delusion it's kind of like smoke. That's what her association is. She is the goddess of smoke and crows. So Everything that exists around her is like not really real. It's all in this smoke of delusion, but the smoke can also be the most wisdom. It can be the concentration of all wisdom, but you have to kind of cut through it cut through all the internal negativity, external negativity, secret negativity to understand what the wisdom really is so she is very ferocious probably i would say she's like so ferocious that if anyone's listening and is like curious about it i would just tell you not to do it because it's very (laughs) no it's really it's like really ferocious like carnal ground you need like a graveyard with like dead bodies all over like that's the kind of ferocity (laughs) but she is the she is also the universal teacher so she can become the guru but you have to kind of, like, she's kind of a goddess by trial. Mm-hmm. So everything that uh, practitioner Upasaka does to get towards her is going to result in hardship for the person. So I think that that is a good way to understand, too. And what what was her name, did she say? It's Dumavati. So Smokey. I is the smoke eating sometimes called the crow face sometimes we call her crow face but usually it's a smoke eating
0: i am definitely gonna look her up because that very much very much sounds like the female energy of of odin and i would i would definitely like to uh you should know you see, more like, m- know more about it. it's the yeah
1: hundred percent and she's one of the most interesting of the goddesses in my opinion just because she. so in contra we have this giant dragon just like you guys have, I think, uh, Jor, I forgot the name. You'll have to you're, say your Jormagandr, the world's Thank you. Thank you. So we have a giant dragon. He's also a form of Vishnu. I, like I said, Vishnu dies and takes different forms. Does lots of naughtiness in the world. And uh, <laughs> no, but Vishnu, he tries. I'm not trying to make him like a bad guy. He's not a bad guy. He's not even a trickster, really. He tries to do the right thing. He's just not good at it. Like, he, he, in his intention is to save people, save the world. But he always ends up like doing something to disrupt it.
0: Also, kind of sounds like Loki, but then like with with good intention, because Loki is just you know out for himself, and his his story is like pretty much the other way around. Because um, if it wasn't for Loki, a lot of uh, a lot of things within the realm of the gods wouldn't exist. You know, I mean? That's I wouldn't it, have it. his his it's Mjolnir. It. The, um, the eight-legged horse Sleipnir wouldn't exist if it wasn't for, you know, for Loki fucking up. Because that's... Also, those, those, are the, the, say that. the, those are the... Like, those are the results of solutions because, you know, it, it would cost him his head otherwise. So it sounds very much like... Um, like, the opposite story of that, like, he means, well,
1: it's just work out the way that he wants to. Yes, his intention is to be the kind of the god who is the god above the gods, but he doesn't really know how. He doesn't, he's not a good ruler of heaven, he's kind of, like, all over the place, and uh-huh. he also goes to sleep. So he there's also, like, so when, so if you want to compare it to the Tree of Life, Ish uh, Dumavati is, like, I would assign her, like, Chokma. That's pretty much where I'd put her. Tantric Conception. Vishnu is sleeping under the supernal ocean with his nine-headed Naga crown, so nine snakes. Oh, there's the nine again. And then she swallows her husband, her consort, Shiva, because she is so... Well, the out, outer story is that she's so thirsty for wisdom. Because he is time, her husband's time, is the container of all wisdom. She is very angry with him, very furious, swallows him. Then... It becomes the time without time. So time doesn't exist outside of her. It only exists within her. So that's part of the reason we say that she is also the goddess of all potential power, all ritual power, because she contains it all within herself.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Then she also vomits out Shiva in the form of a black egg. And then he is born and then he becomes a little boy with a black dog who rides a black dog. and the story starts over that's that's quite that's quite the story that's that's anyways look up her up she, she's very interesting i i think you'll like it a lot i think you'll find a lot of parallels yeah I definitely did. um <laughs>
0: Over like uh, uh, DM on Twitter, just uh, yeah. I will s- s- send me a send me a few names. I'll uh, I'm okay. definitely uh, going to look that up. Like, oh, I, I want to. I really want to keep keep going, but I'm short on time. I'm no no I'm no pulling it, pulling a double shift on the
1: long. no. I heard podcast. Very so um, thank you so much for having me on. It was amazing combo. And yeah, oh, you're you're definitely gonna.
0: Gonna have to come on again. Like I am nowhere near done. I want to know a hell of a lot more because there's so is... much
1: more. We're so much more. We didn't even get into the eight-legged horse, which also exists. Oh god, dude, stop teasing <laughs> that's me. A <laughs> that's a good teaser for another one. It is. It is.
0: Stay tuned. Talking about the eight-legged horse of the east in uh, part two. So yeah, dude. Thank you very much for uh, for coming on this. Um, this has been amazing. Like I. I have a lot of things that I, yeah, I want to look up, a lot of, uh, goddesses that I, uh, I want to look up. And I have definitely gained some more, some more knowledge, uh, not just the, the understanding. But I think once I, uh, keep research and more research and let it, you know, let it simmer the story has
1: it has All the power, the story has all the power. I love a good story. So thank you so much, scene. I really appreciate it. I think you do a great show. You have so many diverse people on. I really appreciate that you asked me to come on. Thank you.
0: Yeah, no. Thank, thank you for the for the compliments. I uh, I definitely try. I try to uh, to have it as diverse as can be. Uh, is there? Anything that you uh, that you wanted to plug, anything that you wanted to promote, uh, can be you know from yourself or someone that you. Uh, you think we should definitely. Well, with. I hope
1: that we can have you, or not we, but I hope they will have you on Union of Unknowns podcast one day, and we'll do like a Norse roundtable. I think that would be really awesome. It would. And, you know, they're more libertarian, kind of like uh, heathens from the south. But I think that you'll get a lot out of it. And uh, so that's pretty much it. And check me out on the Subconscious Realms if you're interested. We went more into the goddesses on that one, three parts. that's, yeah, that's it. Just thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I'll send you the stuff on Twitter.
0: Yes, please do. I will make sure to, uh, of course, put all the interesting stuff in the, um, the description box down below. Uh, so that everyone can look it up for themselves as well um yeah this has been in the ninja and your host stein fox on the greyhorn pagans podcast next time we will go into the, uh, the eight-legged horse of the east because now now you sparked it like now you know like, now i want to know so yeah thank you very much for um for coming on i am already looking very much forward to part two um uh, you can find the greyhorn pagans through our website www.greyhornpagans.com you can find the podcast on all bigger podcasting platforms um i am now i should say we are now also finally on Apple Podcasts. It was a bitch getting it on there. Uh, find us on Good Pods. That's uh, that's really a really new podcasting platform. That's uh, that's getting getting big. It's kind of like social media mixed with podcasting and podcasters. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, find us there. Check us out. And uh, yeah, until next time which for today will be in a few minutes because i'm pulling double duty so anyway thank you all jen thank you so much much. Uh, have a good one yes and until next time until the next
1: time